Ron Oral, and you're listening to the Activist Investing Today podcast. Today, I'm excited to say that we have with me Yaron Nilly, Assistant Professor of Law at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, and he's an expert in corporate governance, law, hedge funds, private equity, and activist investors. Uh, so my, all, the, all our favorite things here at The Deal. So I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us, Professor Nilly. Thank you for having me. So you've done this fascinating study on uh, succession situations where you have a CEO chair uh, where a CEO leaves and remains on as chairman. And, we, you know, I, as you and I know, there's been a big push among institutional investors to drive companies to separate some institutional investors, you know, not a lot of them, but some to drive companies to separate the role of chairman and CEO. And they consider that to be really good governance. And uh, you know, uh, we did like a study looking at uh, the past couple of years and found that it's very rare that a majority of shareholders support a proposed, you know, non-binding shareholder proposal to separate the CEO chair role. We found, I found one in 2018. The only one where a majority of shareholders approved the separation of chair CEO was at Rite Aid in 2018, which was a huge vote of no confidence after the drug chain's failed merger with Albertson, and that deal had some serious governance problems. We wrote about it at the deal, uh, and uh, you can uh, check out our articles on that. Um, but so, okay, so uh, Professor Nilly, so tell us a little bit about uh, the, uh, I guess, a related phenomena, which in many cases you found, you did some studies of situations where the current chairman CEO steps down as CEO and remains chairman while a new CEO is appointed. And I guess, uh, you know, do you have any statistics on how many companies where this kind of situation has occurred? Is it a growing situation? And then, you know, talk about what your study found. It sounds like you found a lot of governance problems. And I can imagine there are a lot of governance problems where the, uh, the, the former CEO, maybe he's the founder, is the chairman overseeing the new CEO. It seems like the chairman probably would want to, uh, uh, you know, in some ways try to be the CEO, like really kind of pull the puppet strings on the CEO uh, when he's the, the now just in the chairman role. But I'm curious what you found. Yeah, thanks. Those are all great questions. I, I'll just start based on what you said. We do see a little bit of more um, support among institutional investors to the issue of separation of CEO and chair. So um, I, in the paper, I have a little bit of data on kind of the support of like the top 20 institutional investors. And you see a trend of more, more support to those proposals. You're right that they are not mm -hmm. passing in great numbers, but there's definitely an upward trend of, um, of um, increased um, at, uh, attention by institutional investors to this issue of separation. And what, I, what, I, what, what I, I'm trying to highlight in, the, in, in this project is kind of, um, um, I think, um, um, underappreciated uh, or under, under understood um, Phenomenon. Usually, when we talk about separation of CEO and chair, we think about a situation where the CEO basically gives up the chairman of the board or the chairperson of the board position, brings somebody in, uh, bring bring somebody from the outside to serve as chair, and we have, you know, the CEO, and then we have an independent chair. Uh, but in reality, what my study finds is that there is a second channel where we see kind of like so-called separation of CEO and chair. But instead of the CEO chair giving up the C the chair position. They actually give up CEO position, move to the chair position exclusively, and bring in um, uh, somebody else to serve as CEO. And my study also find that the person that they're bringing in is often a company, a longtime company employee, so somebody mm -hmm. they knew very well, groomed, and they bring in to serve under them. Um, as far as as uh, scale and scope, this is this is not a small uh, small problem. Uh, um, my study finds that um, um, there are roughly around 
200 plus companies in every year in my sample between 2010 and 2016 that had this structure of uh, ex-CEO serving as the chair. Sorry, did um, you say 200, 200 companies? Yeah, in 2016, wow. 217 companies in the S&P 1500 mm-hmm. had that exact structure. So it's a significant um, um, a portion of the S&P 1500, and it's even a larger portion of the companies that have so-called separation of CEO and chair. We know roughly half of them have separated the goals and half not. So it's a, it's a significant number. Every year, roughly um, 35 to 45 new companies are making such transition. Obviously, some drop out, but uh, it's a pretty consistent trend uh, seeing that uh, 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 channel of um, of uh, succession, so to speak. Um, hmm. um, it is also, um, uh, one thing I found is that it's more prevalent in um, mid-sized and small cap companies. So S&P 400, S&P 600 companies are more likely to have such a structure in place. But even in the larger companies, S&P 500 companies, we still have roughly 13% of the companies with that structure in place uh, as far as 2016 goes. Um, so it is, it, it is pretty big. Right, so I wanted to throw in, uh, we have some interesting related statistics. Uh, the Bordax, which is a uh, relationship mapping service that's owned by the deal, has statistics on that there are 46% of S&P 500 companies that have a combined CEO chair and only 32% that have an independent chair. And in the mid, S&P mid-cap 400, 32% have a combined CEO chair and 44% have an independent chair and 31% have a of the S&P small cap 600 have a combined CEO chair while 49% have an independent chair and I don't know what I thought was interesting about our statistics at Bordex was that um, you know usually it's the S&P 500 that have the best corporate governance because uh, they're often they're the ones that cannot be targeted by activist investors in my opinion <laughs> so they're ha- easy to you know have a declassified board yeah. for example mm-hmm. but in this case uh, the, the large the S&P 500 companies are the only 32% the smallest amount that have independent chairs. But anyway, it's interesting your point that it was the small and mid-cap companies that are the ones with um, this kind of uh, situation where the CEO, is is the CEO in many of these cases the founder and he's stepping down the role and becomes the chairman? One of the interesting uh, um, uh, stories here is a potential, it's 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 both beneficial and a concern, but one way this can happen is when you have a founder that um, is being kind of pushed by investors to give up their their position. One of the examples I have, and the example I have in the paper is Chipotle, right? So right, uh, Chipotle, um, right, right. Steve Ellis hasn't, hasn't been doing so well um, in in you know in later in 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 late in his tenure as a CEO, and he was really uh, pushed out by investors to give up the CEO role, and that's what he did. He gave up the CEO role. He brought. Um, um, an executive from uh, Taco Bell to buy Nicole to run the company for him, but he stayed as a chairman, so he hasn't left. He hasn't left the company, and that's kind of a, 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 an interesting compromise because you let the founder to, um, uh, to to stay around. You don't totally push them out, and they might not will be willing to do it if they have uh, some sort of a control on the on, on the company voting structure. Uh, but they might be more amenable to doing that, knowing that they can still stay. Um, involved through uh, the chairman position. So that, that's an interesting observation. And I think that really kind of uh, can explain a little bit of the uh, more likelihood to um, see it in the smaller companies, the companies that are usually more likely to have a founder in place. 
Um, one other explanation uh, that, uh, that I can uh, suggest is that um, those companies, the, the S&P 500 companies, are actually in that when when it's like the CEO, um, the CEO has a little bit more power to resist. They are a little bit more high powerful people. They have mm-hmm. uh, a little bit uh, um, stronger reputation, so they can they can resist this push to separate the role, just like the, um, Jamie Dimon and JP Morgan really, you know. Went to battle on that, and he had he had his um, you know reputation in hand to kind of like fend off this pressure to separate the role. So that, that's another potential hypothesis. Um, mm-hmm. So going back to your question about the governance concerns, yeah, so what I, are the, I what think, are the governance problems here? It seems like there'd be a, a bunch of governance problems. Yeah, there, there, there's a bunch mind. of them. So, so, so one one key issue is really understanding that uh, basically you're multiplying. Uh, the company executive power uh, hold on the board, right? So mm-hmm. often we talk about the CEO kind of like having control of the board and we're trying to mitigate it by putting somebody else to counterbalance it, give more clout and the ability for the independent directors to really scrutinize the CEO position. But if now you have a CEO and an ex-CEO both serving and often working in cahoots, so to speak, then you have the, the power structure of the board is becoming even more uh, precarious uh, on that front and really can jeopardize the independence of the board. There's a question whether the rest of the directors can really resist um, um, those two people, the chairman and CEO, that are basically on the same wavelength, so to speak. Um, mm-hmm. um, and then uh, a second point is really uh, the question of um, what are we trying to achieve with separation? And... Uh, companies that have this successful CEO uh, structure are basically companies where they have separate CEO chair positions, right? So technically, they answer this call for CEO chair separation. But in reality, uh, you have two people that are kind of made from the same cloth. Uh, so that's kind of um, what I call a camouflage effect. They are camouflaging to be good governance actors, but in reality, the structure doesn't really provide the good governance that you're trying to achieve with this separation of your positions. Um, did you say that? In is, some, did you say that in some cases the companies will call the uh, the ex CEO chair an independent director? Right. This is a spoiler. I was planning to to read it later, but yeah, definitely. In, in a surprisingly large number of cases, companies treat their ex CEO, somebody that was on the board just let's say uh, three or four years ago, uh, as the CEO and now serves as the chair they declare him to be an independent director, an independent <laughs> chair. Um, nice. And it's not a small number. I have the, I have the figures, but uh, let me pull them out. But um, I think overall, 34, um, so 11% of the companies, um, sorry, let's see, um, 20% of the companies that have a successful CEO in place declare the past CEO now chair as an independent chair. So one out of five wow. companies do that. So let me ask you this. You, you, you also, in your study, if, if I remember correctly, you talk about, you know, when I talk to institutional investors, they're like, yeah, it's okay to have the CEO and chairman be the same person if there's a strong uh, independent lead, lead, independent uh, lead director that kind of yeah. have meetings away from the CEO and the executives where they could discuss, let's say, you know, if they don't like the CEO, they can fire him. But did you say, yeah. am I making this up or did you say in your study somewhere that, uh, that the, um, uh, uh, you know, you, I, I think you raised some issues with the lead independent uh, position, and yeah. uh, and as yeah. it relates to these situations where you have this fr- previous CEO as the chairman. Definitely. So I think I think there's there's two questions here. First of all, do we even see a lead independent director 
in that in that setup, right? So we have a setup now that we have a CEO and ex CEO basically holding control on two of the most powerful positions in the company: the chairman and the, or the chairperson and um, the CEO. And you would expect to have a little bit of a director to at least counterbalance that, right? But mm-hmm. um, what I found is that in uh, a third of the cases, 34% of the companies with that structure actually have no independent director. In Are these the so, smaller mid-sized companies mostly? Or I'm trying to imagine how they could have no lead. In the yeah, it, it's, more, it's more of those companies, definitely. Mm-hmm. But it's still a third of those S&P 1500 companies. So it's not small fish companies. It's still mm-hmm. uh, relatively large companies mm-hmm. that... Um, have no independent director in place. No lead, no lead uh, independent director. No, no, no lead independent director. So that's a, a, a third of those companies. But even in the other two thirds that have lead independent director, then the question is, what are the powers of this lead independent director to really counterbalance this new power structure when you have two uh, uh, positions of power that are kind of tilted towards management, right? The CEO and the ex-CEO are basically management uh, insiders and they... Um, um, you would expect uh, some kind of a, a, a power dynamic that is, is problematic. And the problem is that we don't really have a good definition of what independent directors need to do. Some institutional investors think that all they need to do is basically enable the communication between the board and institutional investors and their independent directors. But you can think about an independent director, leading independent director in a really kind of a different way where they have much more power to uh, offset the, the grip and the capture of the board by the management team. So that's that's a question that I raised in the paper about how should we think about the independent directors? Should we reform the roles or the expectations? So maybe we need to systemize it and have a more robust definition of what it means to be an independent director. Maybe we need to give them more formal powers uh, that they currently don't hold. So that's that's a, that's a that's an important question uh, even uh, without this uh, successful CEO structure, but definitely. Um, uh, it's much more uh, relevant and, 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 and crucial in the context of a, a power structure when you have both CEO and ex-CEO uh, running the board. So to speak. Do you feel like this is like a puppet, a puppet uh, kind of situation where the uh, former CEO is basically calling the shots on what the current CEO is supposed to be doing from his chairman? Perch. I mean, is that? Am I being too cynical with that? And that these. No, I, I think that's a, that's a valid concern. Like, so I've, uh, you know, there, there were like the, the the independence and governance concern. I think operationally, there's also concerns with this structure. So one one of it is really, if we take the Chipotle example as kind of a, as a guidance, if if Steve and I don't think Chipotle was actually like that, but like if somebody vacates their position, uh, but just to uh, as as kind of a facade and basically puts somebody in place that, you know, has been working with that person for um, um, uh, 10, 15 years and basically will do whatever the uh, now chairman will ask, then you have a question, did we really achieve the change that we wanted? And and, and as a result also, that it really can um, uh, hamper the ability of the new CEO, even if you bring somebody from the outside to really lead drastic change. There is kind of, um, there, there is a series of academic papers um, from earlier this uh, um, decade where they talk about how private equities bring uh, value to companies and what they can do that you know um, investors regularly can't. And one of the things that they raise is that they can consider options that the company can consider themselves because that would involve removing the CEO, for instance. Mm-hmm. Now, if you bring somebody from the outside and they need to deal with the personality of the ex-CEO basically constraining their ability to do drastic changes, mm-hmm. you might end up 
same position. You're not going to get the value of a fresh opinion, fresh look on things because they were constrained by this new, by this um, ongoing power grip that the XEO has on the board. That person probably appointed uh, most of the board during his tenure, and, and it, it, that's that's an issue. Um, I imagine that, that can, would be. Uh, I imagine that would be uh, <laughs> accelerated, or uh, if there's no lead independent director, that's supposed. You know, they're supposed. To, according to Sarbanes Oxley, lead independent director is supposed to have independent meetings with the directors that are not right. executive directors. So that's where they sit around and discuss whether to remove the CEO. So if you have a ex CEO as the chairman and a CEO that you know was uh, his number one guy at the company, and you have no lead independent director, seems like it would be a problem. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it also leads to market leadership, right? You, let's say you meet your, you know, uh, a CFO, do, who do you answer to? Are you answering to the CEO or do you recognize that basically the founder is now the chairman is really running the show? And like, how, how are you going to deal with that tension between two power players? There's going to be a disharmonious environment in the boardroom and in the company's uh, C-suite uh, based on, on on that structure if it doesn't work well, right? Sometimes it will work well, but sometimes it wouldn't. And that's something definitely to consider operationally as well. And so did you find that CEOs that move to the chair role do it only temporarily or is this more of a permanent structure? Yeah, no, so that, that's, 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 that was one of the things that initially I was kind of trying to figure out because there is a lot of literature that assumes that this happens, but it happens just as kind of like pass the baton type of situation. So the the the, the old um, the old or kind of like the common way to uh, look at it um, based on uh, previous uh, studies and, and uh, interviews that I found is that people said, well, you know, you were a CEO, now you're going to leave your position, you're going to bring somebody else to be the CEO, and for you know four, five, six months, you're going to stay on board as a chairman or um, a chairwoman and just look and make sure that nothing goes wrong, right? You just have a transitional soft, person. Yeah, soft landing type of situation. And that's not the case. So okay. most most of those uh, successful CEO structures, so uh, the CEOs that leave their position as CEOs and become uh, um, uh, chairs, stay for way longer than four, five, six months. Um, roughly, um, I have the figures here, but basically, um, um, oh, let's see. They stay on for years and years after yeah, they so, leave the CEO position. So, um, um, a, a lot of them stay. Uh, so, more than more than a majority of those uh, um, uh, ex CEOs stay for more than three years in the role, mm-hmm. and close wow. to twenty percent stay more than seven years. Wow! So well, not, they, I feel like the alternative is, and since this is the Activist Today podcast, you have a lot of these ex founders. We have statistics here at the deal that we compiled down, um, you know, they, if they're not the CEO or chairman, but they're a big stakeholder and they're on the outside, they're not happy with the company. They turn into activist investors, you know, launching, we have the John Schnatter situation at Papa John's, I guess is the most high profile one, but I feel yeah. like that's the, that's what could happen. If, if the, you know, if, if the CEO can't retain this chairman job, then maybe they'll become, you know, founder activists on the outside, which is a whole other kind of can of worms. Yeah. In the context of founder founder companies, yeah, that makes sense to keep them happy, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but but it's not just founder companies; it's a lot of other companies that have basically, you know, the ex CEO, um, you know, transitions out. I, I bring the Alibaba, uh, you know, um, um, the, the the founder basically moved to the to uh, the chairman position, um, kind of vacating the road to somebody who's younger and more into. Uh, the evolving landscape of of, uh, of the tech world, but um, you know it, it's definitely not the case where it's just a temporarily fix for a few months before the CEO regains 
uh, the chair position, right? So that was the assumption. You have this kind of temporary break, and then the chair, the chair role is awarded to the CEO after they've proven themselves to be worthy of it. But that's not the case in those mm-hmm. in, the, in those companies or a lot of them. So wow. uh, I definitely uh, much more than a temporary uh, temporary um, transition. All right. Before we wrap up, I just wanted to bring up uh, 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 kind of uh, a look at you know how we could how corporate governance could improve in the future. And uh, John Bogle, who passed away went, uh, Wednesday, January sixteenth at eighty nine, um, in addition to bringing index funds to the masses, was a top activist for corporate governance, independent boards, and efforts to drive CEOs into ceding what he saw as their imperial power. Um, in twenty seventeen, he had a speech where. He saw the structure of tomorrow's corporation as one that would have a fully independent board, no company executives would be on the board except for the CEO, who would not be chairman, and that the CEO would only be there in a non-voting capacity. This is the vision that uh, John Bogle had for Corporation of Future. He said that, uh, acknowledged that, that achieving the goal would not be easy. And I quote, he's, quote, Bogle said, I recognize that many of these proposals for reform are idealistic and out of today's mainstream. Most CEOs are unwilling to cede part of their imperial power to anyone else. So I guess, one, you think it would be an improvement to have the CEO, you know, as just a non-voting member of the board. And uh, two, uh, you know, can you envision a situation one day where boards are completely independent, but really independent directors, uh, and the CEO would only be on the board as a non-voting member? Yeah. Um, I may surprise you or those, but... I'm actually somewhat disagreeing with him um, okay. on that front, and I, I nobody has been a more vocal advocate of director independence than I am. I think it's extremely important, but I think part of the issue is this exactly uh, taking it to the extreme. So I think um, a lot of what we are seeing right now with long tenured directors, older directors, uh, companies treating directors as independent but they are not. It's all overboarded directors that serve multiple companies. It's all a reactionary attempts by companies to really kind of compensate for the fact that, uh, you know, 30 years ago, half of the board was company employees. And today, in many companies, the CEO is the only company insider that sits on the board. And and you lost a lot of um, institutional and operational and, and industry knowledge by losing all of those company employees. And now you're bringing from the outside directors that are uh, qualified but might not know the company the way company insiders do. Mm-hmm. So I think companies are trying to offset that by doing all of those things that lead to a cascade of other issues, right? So we have this tenure concern. We have the age of directors that is growing, uh, becoming more old. Mm-hmm. And that's a concern in itself. There was just a recent study that came out on on. on older directors and how they uh, create issues as far as the governance of the company. We have directors that sit on multiple boards because we want this director that is proven to be uh, uh, knowledgeable and, 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 and successful. Uh, we are willing to look the other way if directors are not really independent the way they should be, and but we need to declare them as independent because the expectation is that the company will have a fully independent board. So, so my view is that um, instead of trying to uh, get to a board that has um, all the directors independent, um, um, with the exception of the CEO, and there's a different question whether the CEO should be a participating member or not, but instead of focusing on that, we need to focus on the fact that we the, the, the directors that we do designate as independent are actually fully independent. And once mm-hmm. we have a critical mass of independent directors, and you know the the, the, the stock exchanges only require a majority. We don't need to get to a full board, but if you have you know. Six out of ten directors that are really independent directors, 
and the other four are actually company executives that bring the the knowledge that is needed i think that's that's that might be even a better solution long term than trying to kind of replicate secondary um uh, uh replacements to that knowledge um gap that uh, many directors that come from the outside have so that that's my view so it sounds to me like at the very least the uh, CEO chairman should not. Uh, you're very. I guess sounds like you're very skeptical that of uh, of these kind of boards where the ex CEO is the chairman of the board, uh, right? I guess that's that's one governance improvement that should happen. That uh, they shouldn't be the the chairman anymore. Well, I, I, so I think. Or at least things. maybe if, if there is a situation like that where yeah. you, have a, you have to have at least a strong lead independent director that's really independent and can hold meetings separate yeah. from the executives. Exactly. Exactly. I think companies know best what is good for them, but mm-hmm. I don't like the fact that they don't tell us about it, so they don't disclose it appropriately, or they define those uh, um, ex-CEO as independent just to camouflage the fact that um, they don't want to be under pressure. So I'm okay with the company putting an ex-CEO as chair and having a CEO there too. But if that is the case, they need to tell us about it frankly. And then we need to have to make sure that we have a, a structure in place that really doesn't jeopardize the independence of the board by having a really robust independent, independent director structure that is really able to counter that power um, uh, dynamic that the board will have. So that, that's my view. All right. Well, I really appreciate you taking a little time to talk with us, uh, Professor Nilly. This has been uh, the Activist Investing Today podcast with Ron Oral, and you've been uh, listening to Yaron Nilly, Assistant Professor of Law at the University of Wisconsin Madison, and uh, and uh, definitely uh, go check out his new, his study. Uh, it sounds really interesting. I appreciate you taking a little time, Professor Nilly. Thank you. It's been a pleasure.